aren't here. Thank you, Johan, for filling in, and Mr. Davis and Tara. That's such a sweet, it's such a sweet setup. It's so simple. Conga drums and a piano. It's very sweet, and I appreciate it very much. And that last song, I, I became convicted that I was singing something that I needed to do more frequently, which is surrender all. You know, we surrender all on the moment we come to Christ. But really for the Christian in this time between the times, the time of our regeneration, that's where we became believers, where the Holy Spirit quickened our hearts and enabled us to receive the grace of God. In the time of our glorification, when God sends His Son to return to the earth again to bring with those who have been buried and to raise those who are living, first the dead, then the living, up with Him to give us new bodies. In that time now, really, we have to moment by moment, thought by thought, word by word, footstep by footstep, surrender all to Jesus. It's really something that convicted me as I was sitting there, surrendering all means every second of every minute of every hour of every day. We have to pray for the Lord to help us to do that. John Piper, very famous pastor, is famous for putting together a, a, a philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of theology, I should say, of ministry and a theology, a description of man, an anthropology, a description of God, a theology, in this one sentence, and it goes like this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You've never heard that phrase, it's a good one. One to memorize. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Probably within the last week, we went down a list of things that we really needed to improve on in 2017. Especially after you ate your second box of sugar cookies. <laughs> and you started to feel your pancreas saying, no more sugar. And you realize you were gaining a little bit more weight. Someone asked, why don't you button your, your coat while you're on stage? Well, if you go back and watch some of the videos about five months ago, it buttoned. But now it's a little bit more snug. You sit around and you think about all the things you would have liked to have done. And you, you just watch, just year after year, slip by. It's like, what did I do this year of any worth? What did I do of value for others? What did I do for others? That's usually not a question we ask around this time. Something we absolutely should be asking, but it's not typically a question we ask. What did I do for others in 2016? What did I do for God in 2016? But right now we're thinking about ways to improve our life in 2017. How can we improve our life in 2017? We want to lose more weight. We want to set a goal to lose X amount of pounds. I've already set mine. I want to lose enough pounds to button this button. That's my goal. 
or we want to read a little bit more, or we, we want to go back to school, or we want to get a, a, a job promotion. Maybe for the youngsters, you want to survive high school, or you want to get a new car, or you want to pick your college. But most of us are planning our New Year's resolution around ourselves and not necessarily around God. And as we were sitting there singing, I surrender all, I was thinking to myself, so much of the the conflict in my own life that has ever been there has been because I didn't surrender all to Him. And because I was the object of my life and my worship and my joy, or possessions or things other than God were the object of my source and joy, instead of you, God, if simply I would just be satisfied in you, and you most glorified in my satisfaction in you, at the very least I could be certain that in all things that happen to me, even when bad things happen to me, that you work those things for my good because I love you and I know I love you because I've surrendered all to you. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 through 6. And I'm going to spend some time just unpacking this verse today, this whole section of Scripture, as we move towards this trajectory this year. Making the Lord our delight for 2017. And not ourselves. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not your doctor, and I'm not suggesting that you don't need to lose weight. Or that you don't need to go back to school. But the motivation for all of the things that we do has to be the Lord's glory and not our own. For 2017. I want to read this verse. There's not even much to unpack. As we read through it, your eyes are just going to be opened up. It's a very simple verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the downward trajectory. Doesn't walk, doesn't stand, doesn't sit. When he's moving, when he's standing still, when he's asleep, the sinner is always in the wrong path as long as he's rebelling against God. But blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you just got rid of the three lines between blessed is the man, it would read like this. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You just get rid of those three lines. That's what it says. In other words, you wouldn't even have to use these three lines if we simply delighted in the Lord. We wouldn't even have to worry about standing in the way of the the wicked because we wouldn't stand in the way of the wicked because our delight is in the Lord and not in the wicked. 
There's only two paths. Only two paths. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. There are only two purposes. There's only two purposes here. You're either a tree that bears fruit for others and for God and for others, or you're chaff that the wind simply blows away. Only two purposes. Only two paths. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's only two destinations. Really, we're going to stand in one place, the judgment before God, but our ultimate destination is only one of two, either in or out. Either in God's kingdom or outside God's kingdom. You notice that this passage picks up a good-bad binary. It's really the theme of the Bible, a good-bad binary. A binary is two options. It's either or. It's one or the other. Man relates to God in one of two ways. He either delights in his instruction or he walks in the way of the wicked and there is no third option. David doesn't give us a third option and scripture doesn't give us a third option. There is not an indifference. There's not another place of judgment. There's not another path that one can take. We talk about the mountaintop analogy. Maybe some of you who've gone to FIU have heard this analogy before. That God is at the top of the mountain and all the religions are just taking different pathways to the top. But the Bible doesn't buy that analogy one bit. It says there's only one of two pathways that one can be on. Either upward or downward. Either towards God or away from God and that's it. It's a good, bad binary. It's very simple. There's no third option. The wicked walk, stand and sit in the way of the wicked path, or we can delight in the instruction of the Lord. You're either chafe or a tree. Your leaf either withers or it bears much fruit. You're either driven away by the wind or you stand strong when the storms and the waters rise. You either build your house on a rock or you build your house on sand. Perishes on the day of judgment or stands in the day of judgment. There's no third option. And a lot of us want to live in that third option. We want to live like we, ourselves, and God have our own agreement and we're going on our own path and God understands that path. God really is concerned with that path because that path is what's going to make us happy. But for the psalmist, for David, there is no other path. There is no other purpose and there is no other destination. Being with God is an in or out type of thing. A person, a person either is righteous or a, part, a person is either righteous, that is God is righteous for them, or unrighteous, that is God is against them. There's no use in comparing ourselves to one another. Even to another Christian, for all of us, as we learned last week, eat of the same bread and drink from the same cup. 
Someone's not more saved than you or less saved than you or more lost than you or less lost than you. It's saved or lost. It's good or bad. That's it. We're drinking and eating from the same bread, from the same cup, so that boasting is excluded. We can't boast about our salvation because someone else earned our salvation for us. Jesus Christ. And we confess when we eat that bread. And so this is why we don't eat this bread with frivolity. When we come to the table, we think about why we're eating this bread and drinking this cup. We are saying that we're saved by this blood and body of Jesus and not in our works. There's nothing we can do. We're confessing that we're one body. So there's no sense in arguing about being better. I mean, consider, for instance, the rich young ruler. He was the example of morally, a morally good person for his day, but Jesus was not the Lord of his life. And therefore, since he fed on the chaff of his works rather than on the bread of life, Jesus told him that he lacked the one thing that he really needed. He needed God. Trees or chaff? This morning I want to talk about two paths, two purposes, and two destinations. Two paths. A path is a predetermined route for traveling. That's all it is. When Stephanie and I lived in Louisville, we would go to this beautiful park, and there were many paths you could take. You could take a path around the park. You could take a path through the park. You could take a path up the hills. You could take a path down the hills. And depending on how we were feeling, that path might change. And it was nice. But we didn't have to take the path. We didn't have to. But here, there's only two paths that one can take. The psalmist says you're going to take one of two paths. Either the Lord's path or the way of the wicked. A person can take or not take a certain path. David does not tell us what the path of the wicked is, in fact, probably because the path of the wicked is multidirectional. So you have two paths here. You can take the path of the wicked or you can take the path of God. He doesn't tell us necessarily what the path of the wicked is, but Paul does a good job in describing what the path of wickedness looks like. Romans 1.28, says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Notice that the path begins with not acknowledging God. Our life, and we can look back at our life right now and see whether or not we are really on God's path or on the path of the wicked. Because if we're not acknowledging God, our life looks like this. God gives us up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. All manner. These paths go everywhere, the way of the wicked. The life of the wicked goes all over the place. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and then strife. Every one of these is another path. Some, of, some people are trying to straddle several of them at a time. Deceit and maliciousness or their gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, they're boastful, they invent evil. Disobedient to parents, kids, there's one for you. 
And you have very little paths, young people, to take right now, but one of them is your main path right now is to obey your parents. Honor your parents, your mother and your father, that your days may be long in the land. If one thing, take this path. But notice that those who don't acknowledge God, these are their paths. They're disobedient to parents. They're foolish. They're faithless. They're heartless. They're ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, they're like those people on the Tour de France cheering along others as they're going down the same dark, deadly path. That's really what happens in the world. We're happy when others are going down that same path of the wicked. The cliche is true. Misery really does love company. So the path of the wicked is multidirectional. Because there's no path maker. There's no path maker. No one has cut this path for them. One atheist philosopher has summed up this path of the wicked very nicely. He says, what most atheists do believe is that although there is only one kind of stuff in the universe, and that sort of stuff is physical, what he means by physical is it means without mind. Without intelligence. Out of this stuff comes minds, beauty, emotions, moral values. In short, the full gamut of phenomena that gives richness to human life. In other words, stuff not God is the source of our minds and beauty and emotions and moral values. The very richness of life. Material evolution and not God is the source of every good thing. As such, the path of the wicked is almost infinite. If the source of life is mindless chance and has no purpose and direction, who's to say what path is the right path? Or what path is the best path? Who's to say that one path is even a wrong path? The problem with this sort of thinking is that it's impossible to make any absolute statement about meaning or purpose or direction in life. In fact, one atheist says it's pretty hard to defend an absolute moral standard on the grounds other than religious ones. In other words, there's really no path apart from God. We read several weeks ago of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who notes that without God... The path loses its sense of direction. There's no more up or down. There's no more basis for meaning. There's no more right or wrong. There's no more light. Only men and women lighting their own pathetic lanterns moving around in the empty darkness of life. Really without a path. David tells us the result of this way of living that the path of the wicked... It's like chaff driven away by wind. When they harvest grain to separate, some today do it this way. I thought I saw this was neat. They'll take their grain and they'll put it in a bowl and they'll hold it up and they'll wait for the wind to start blowing and they'll pour their grain down to the bottom 
And as they're pouring that grain, the wind just takes the chaff and it just blows away. And all the, all the stuff that's really worth something just falls to the bottom. And the chaff just blows away. And it blows, and it, it, when you're watching it, it just it blows that way and this way and up and down and it's going everywhere. And a lot of our lives are like this right now because the path is the path of the wicked. It's not the path of the Lord. So we're going everywhere. But not so with the righteous. For they delight in the instruction of the Lord. There is but only one way, one truth, and one life, one path for the righteous. That is the way of the Lord. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy, the pathway is easy. It's wide. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is as broad as the people who can fit through it. That gate is wide so that they, the Lord already knows those who are going to be coming through it because this narrow path is a hard path and the broad path is an easy path. The path of the wicked is so much easier. It's so much broader. Many enter by it. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's a much narrower gate. Some of you might be saying, so is this narrow gate perfection? Is it perfection? Listen to what Jesus says in John 10.9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The pathway for the righteous is the instruction of the Lord. By Christ and Christ alone, we are able to walk the narrow path by the faith granted to us by God's Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are now enabled to walk the narrow path and enter the narrow gate because the Spirit now lives within us. We now understand that the narrow gate is not my way, but the Lord's way. And that the Lord's way is Jesus and not my way. That the Lord's way is not every religion or every worldview, but only one narrow Jew. The true God, the true man, Jesus Christ. That's the narrow way. And by Him, we are now enabled to walk the narrow path and enter through the narrow gate. Paul tells us that it's by faith now that we are saved. And he's asked the question, do we then overthrow the law? Do we, do we then walk off now that we have faith? Do we get off this narrow path, the Lord's path, and begin to go back to walk every other path we want to walk now because we've been saved by faith? Now can we go back to every other path and walk whatever we want to walk? He says, by no means. That, that's not what the believer does. The believer doesn't taste the sweetness of Jesus in the gospel and receive all of God's justice for their life and then walk their own path. No, he says, by this faith, we uphold the law. By this faith, we walk the narrow path. This path that God has given to us is a path 
for our benefit, for our good. But it is a path that comes by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Well, there are two purposes. There are two purposes here in our passage this morning. The journey of the wicked is like chaff. And I already spoke about chaff this morning. In those days, they'd use a winnowing fork and they'd pick up the grain. And the useful grain would be able to be thrown. And everything that was useless just kind of fell down. In other words, it kind of takes care of itself. The path of the wicked kind of just takes care of itself. Why are we shocked when we find out that those guys who are committed to a life of stealing are gunned down in the streets? Why are we shocked that those who are committed to a life of open sexual sin die early deaths because of sickness and disease? And those who live fast lives don't have a blessing on their life. Why are we so shocked when we find out that those who've made their entire life about wealth and prosperity find at the end of their life only the emptiness of material possessions? Why are we so shocked like that? It is the chaff of that path. It just blows into the wind. It falls to the bottom. It has no purpose. There's no nourishment in that. David says of the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind carries away. And all around us are examples of this wind driving away the chaff of the path of the wicked. The person who has made drugs or sex or career or sports or hobbies or any other created thing or their marriage or their spouse. The person who has made that their God, their way of life shows nothing but the fruitlessness of the wicked path. But not so with the righteous. They're not chaff. The righteous are like a tree. Think about how different these two things are. Chaff is almost like dust. And a tree is robust and strong. It is firmly planted. It has an imposing figure. When we were trying to get from the East Coast to the West Coast, they had to hire lumberjacks to cut down just to get through them because those trees are there. They're not like chaff. The righteous are like a tree. And not just any tree, but a tree planted by streams of water. That means this tree is a healthy tree. It yields fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does... That is the tree, that is those who are on the path of God, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff, and the wind drives them away. The righteous have God's instruction as their source of life, that is the streams of water. In just a moment, hopefully many of you, I'm going to give an advertisement, in just a moment we're going to talk about our, our daily or our daily yearly, I should say, Bible reading plan. Why? Because we want that to be the streams of water for your life. So that you'll be a healthy tree. The righteous have God's instruction as their source of life. Not their own, not the philosophies of Facebook. Not what they're hearing in their classes at the, the local college. Not the, the conversation around the water cooler. But the streams of water for this tree is the instruction of the Lord. It's God's word. 
They live outwardly rather than inwardly. Notice that they yield fruit in season. The person who is on God's path lives outwardly. They yield fruit. A fruit is not for the tree. Think about the metaphor. When a a tree bears fruit, it's not for the tree. The tree doesn't pick the apples up and eat the apples. Everyone knows that. It picks the apples up and throws them at Dorothy as she runs down the yellow brick road. That's a movie called The Wizard of Oz for some of you. It's a little little movie you may have heard of. But, But trees don't, they're not nourished off their own fruit. They bear fruit for what? They bear fruit for others. The path that delights in the Lord bears fruit for others. You say, so my life is all for others? For God and for others. What's our mission here? To cultivate a greater love for God and for our neighbor, for others. It's not for you to find your purpose in life. Maybe it is, and maybe your purpose is others. It's God and others. It's not how to be a better you, though in giving of yourself for others, you are a better you because you are more like Christ who gave himself for others. The best you you can be here at Northwest Baptist Church is a life lived for others, for God and for others. You don't do it because it makes you happy. I got an article from one of the pastors that I run with. He sent an article over the, the two-week break, and he, it was just an article on people who leave churches. One of the things that a really pastors really struggle with is the, 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 the small things that people leave churches over. The music wasn't good enough this Sunday. Sometimes when we have a, a music mishap or there's a, a media mishap, I get so anxious because I want it to be perfect, because I know that so many of us are so shallow today that we're going to leave the church over just a mishap with a tape. Small things. Small things. But the one who's planted in streams of water yields fruit for God and for neighbor. It's for others. This is not an easy teaching. The Bible is calling us to die and live for Christ, which in turn is live for God, which in turn is live for others. So the tree that is planted in these streams of waters bears fruit so that others might be nourished. This path is not for you, it's for God, it's for others. I saw a sign this week that football players were running out and they were touching. It was a Northwestern game and they were running out and they were touching this sign that said, trust in yourself. And I thought, what an empty sign. That saying is as valuable as that piece of wood is more valuable than that saying. Trust not in yourself. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways do what? Acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. But your path is going to take you on this wonderful journey away from yourself. Because the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, 
It's like a tree planted in streams of water that yields fruit. And not only that, whatever this tree, whatever the righteous man does, prospers. You can guarantee that this life of yielding fruit for God and for neighbor is going to always prosper. You got so many things this past Christmas. Claire had so many gifts because somebody in our family who will go nameless loves to spoil Claire. So we say, Nana, you have to... Where is Nana? Oh, she's not here today. Don't stop with the clothes, guys, um, and the diapers. But we were going, and I was getting boxes, and, and every day Claire would come to me, Daddy, can I open this? Can I open this box? And, and she would play with it for a couple minutes, and then she'd get tired of it. It's like the way we are with our cell phones. iPhone 7. Wow. Turn on the TV. What do you mean there's an iPhone 7S? I just bought the iPhone 7. By the way, this isn't an iPhone 7. It's an iPhone 6. And it hardly works. It's all cracked up. We run after things. We're not going to prosper in getting more things. Why did God give us more things that break and that thieves go and steal? I decided this Christmas that I'd buy an expensive pair of headphones. And I put them on. And I was at the gym and I was feeling good. I was listening to Lecrae on the, on the elliptical as I was working off those sugar cookies. And I decided I'd keep those headphones on and go over to Publix. And I noticed that those headphones attract, attracted the wrong type of attention. I took them back that night. And I kept thinking, things. This, the, the thought as I took this back, because I felt... I knew what I knew. Someone was watching me. Some three were watching me. And some three were setting me up. Because it's just like the word says. Why would you store up treasures here on earth where thieves steal? Whatever the righteous man does prospers. It's not that he gets more wealth. This isn't health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm not teaching here, and the Bible's not teaching here, that if you're in the Lord, that you're going to have a bigger house. I'm not going to teach you that. That's not what it's teaching. It means that when you live for God, when he's the source of your joy, and when others are the source of your joy, it's going to prosper. It's guaranteed. You want prosperity? Give of yourself to God and to others. There's your prosperity. And you might die with not a cent, but you've inherited the kingdom. Whatever he does prospers. The righteous man, though, he doesn't delight in God. He delights in material prosperity. The unrighteous man, I should say. But the righteous man delights in the prosperity of simply God himself. As Piper has said, God is most glorified in us when we find our satisfaction in him. Not headphones. Not iPhones. Finally, there are two destinations. 
Really, both the wicked and the righteous are heading to one destination, that is the judgment. But ultimately, there's going to be two ultimate destinations. It's probably better to say that there's two ultimate destinations than just one or two destinations. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. What does this mean? It means that the wicked will have nothing to give the Lord on that day to show for their life. Their works have passed away like chaff in the wind. Oh God, I went to church on Christmas and New Year's. Chaff. God, I gave extra money for the Christmas offering. Chaff. Just blow it away. God, I have nothing to give you but your son's righteousness. Ah, the righteous will stand on that day. The unrighteous won't even stand in the congregation of the righteous. That is that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will be cut off from God himself, from his people, from his rest, from his eternal life and peace. Because the path of the wicked is like so much chaff. But not so with the righteous. For the Lord knows their way. I like that word, knows, there. How does the Lord know the way of the righteous? This is more than a simple intellectual knowledge of our works. It's not that God knows that your works are really better than the bad works. David's not implying that the Lord is impressed with our works here. But he is saying that the Lord approves, the word there no means to approve of our way because our way is his way. So the word no there does not mean he sees you. He's not Santa. He knows when you've been bad or good. That's not God. That's Santa. Santa's up there judging you about your good and your bad. But the Lord knows your way because it's his way. Because the man who is blessed is the man who delights in what? In the way of the wicked or his own way? In the way of the wicked or in his works? No, but in the Lord himself. That's why the Lord approves of our way. Not because you're better, but because he knows the way. The person who seeks to know the instruction of the Lord is living out his purpose in life to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He delights in the Lord, in his instruction. But an awful thing has happened. Sin has caused us to glorify ourselves and things and to run after the fleeting pleasures of life rather than to love and to just delight in the joy of the Lord. When Thomas asked Jesus, how can we know the way, the way that the Lord knows, Thomas is really asking the question, when he asked the question, is the way to God, how can we know the way 
the way that the Lord delights in, that we delight in, the way that the Lord knows and approves of, Jesus responds like this. You know it. Every one of us knows it. And this is our struggle. Because this way is so narrow. And this gate is so small. What is the way? Thomas, Lord, we don't know the way. Tell us the way. We're here today to know what the way is. All right, preacher man, what's the way? What's the way to a better life in 2017? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I have a better life for 2017 and 2018 and until you die, make Jesus the way. Because he's the way. Because every other path is a dark path that leads to nothing that's like Jade that gets blown away. But this way is the life. It's the meaning of life. And no one comes to the Father except through this narrow gate, through me. And he says to Thomas, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But then he says something even sweeter. From now on, Thomas, you do know him, and you have seen him. The destination of the righteous is the very God whose instruction we delight in. If we are seeking to delight ourselves in God, the fullest delight, the smorgasbord, the sweets and the savories of knowing God are found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. 2017, don't run after things. Run after Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There, we prosper. I want to challenge us this year to start the new year off on the path of righteousness. Right now, we're making all kinds of resolutions to eat better, to save more money, to go back to school, to get a job promotion. But doubtful many of us have determined this year to simply delight ourselves in the instruction of the Lord. How many of us have said this year, we're going to delight ourselves in the Lord? That's not, I, I know that that has probably not been one single person's New Year's resolution to, to simply just say, I'm going to be delighted. I'm going to get my fill. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to be drunk off of the Lord. But you can do that this year. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Full on the bread of life. And you can delight in this. There's a never-ending source of nourishment in Him. But if your New Year's resolution is something other than Him, just watch the chaff blow it away. The wind just blow it away. 
This year, we have an opportunity as a church, as a congregation, to read through a Bible plan. Now, this isn't the only thing that we're going to do, but it's a wonderful thing that this church has never embarked on for each and every one of us to every day spend time in the Word, six days a week. We've chosen to go on a chronological plan. Follow the chronological plan. There's, other, there's thematic plans. But we're going to go on the chronological plan, which is fine. But think about the nourishment in this encounter with the daily bread. I don't want this to become a legalistic burden because doing this out of a burden thwarts the very thing that the righteous man does. Verse 2, Psalm 1, the righteous man delights. It's his delight. It's like when you sneak over to McDonald's and you get that 800-calorie frappe and you delight in it the whole way home. I like the smoothies, so I drink the smoothies because it's hot. You know, I like the fruit smoothies. And the whole way home, kids are yelling in the back and I'm just, delight. Yeah, he hits you? Oh, I'm sorry. He pooped in his pants. Oh, all I can smell is strawberries and bananas. Thank you. It's my delight. I just love it. And nobody has to force me to, oh, I've got to go get a smoothie today. No, I do everything I can to get to that smoothie. Honey, I'm going to be a little bit late because I'm doing more Bible reading. When in fact, I'm going to swing by McDonald's and get a smoothie. It's my delight. I'll do anything to get to that delight because I love it. The delight for the Lord cannot come from ourselves. It has to come from Him. Let's pray. God, give us a new appetite in 2017. An appetite for you. God, give us an appetite for you and not for ourselves and not for things, but for you. Give that to me first as the leader of this church. I ask for it first, God. I want it to be my delight. Lord, as I begin to read your words, I just want, I want to taste the sweet waters of your word and the savory substance of your bread. Lord, as the leader first, Lord, let me delight in this. Lord, I pray for the people that they would delight in your word, that you would give to them a delight for your son. God, you don't give. We don't have this delight. We can't go and get it. There's nothing we can do, Lord, to delight more in you. Only you can give us the delight. Only you can open our eyes. So, Lord, open eyes. Change our appetite. Give us a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for you, because there we'll be nourished. There we will bear much fruit. And there, in you and in you alone, is real prosperity. Lord, create in us a delight for you, not only for this year, but for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name and for your glory, amen.